All right. Um, so what we're going to do today is a little different. Uh, we're going to have a section in here where we're going to look at some charts, and they're going to be on the screen, and I'll let you know, Emmanuel, that's Emmanuel up there, right? I got the right one? Yeah. Um, I'll let you know when we need those as we go along here, but uh, uh, I'm glad you're here today and able to be a part of our community, and let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask your Holy Spirit will be uh, present with us as you have been already, and again, speak to our hearts and minds. Uh, may, we, may we hear and find conviction uh, according to your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been at the beginning of this year in a series that I'm calling Determinations. You know, the resolutions, maybe that's a little overused. So calling them Determinations, and, and, and the definition of that term, Determination, is deciding what you will do and then making sure you do it. So it's a, uh, it, yeah, it's a, it's a uh, mind process of a decision. How do I want to live? What do I want to do? What acts do I want to take? But then it also gets into uh, a heart issue that I'm actually going to do this and then an action. So it, so it brings it all together in a, in a conviction. And we've determined a few things so far. I mean, nothing, nothing completely uh, unusual here, but yet oftentimes we hear these things and we don't really determine that we're going to live this way. So one of the things we've determined is that we will love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength. It's the greatest commandment in the law. And if we were going to do one thing, maybe that would be the best one. So let's determine that, that we're going to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts all of our minds, all of our soul, and all of our strength. We also talked about how we would have no other gods before him. Now for us in a non-polytheistic day, that, that has a little different meaning than maybe it did when that commandment was originally given. But it can mean different things in our own day because so many things draw our attention, distract us, take us away from that focus on God. But then we also determined last Sabbath that we would live love, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the second great commandment. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. But we need to start to break that down. What does that mean in how we literally live out our lives? We're going to take on one component of it today. Certainly, this is not all of it. This is just one piece. And next Sabbath, we're going to talk about it even some more. But we're talking about loving one another, and specifically, loving one another in the context of the Boulder Adventist Church community. And we ended last Sabbath on Romans chapter 13. And I want to start there this week. So Romans chapter 13, verse 8. You can follow along if you want in the Bible there in front of you. I'm using that same translation. So Romans chapter 13, verse 8, says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, are summed up in this word, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So this is the next to last Sabbath in this determination series. And, and like I mentioned before, this week is a little different from what we usually do. I'm going to take a little time today to let you know exactly where we as a community stand from the perspective of our corporate finances as a church. And in that context, we're going to need to ask ourselves some questions. Number one, what things matter to us most? Number two, what are we willing to do to make sure those things happen? And number three, am I playing my part in the life of the community in the area of financial support? Now I know it's often considered impolite to talk about such things, especially at church time, and in general, I'm very sensitive to that reality. That's why we only do this one or two times a year. But I also think sometimes we've let the politeness idea get a little out of hand, not realizing that to be a part of a community like the Boulder Adventist Church, by doing so, we incur a debt upon ourselves. Not in the sense that you have to pay something to be a part of things, but rather that to be a part of a community is to be in relationship with others in the community. And with relationship comes responsibility. Or as the text said, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one that loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment is summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. What I want to talk about today is not about me trying to get anyone's money. It's not about that. Rather, it's about commitments that we make to each other and the implications that go with those commitments. Amos chapter three, verse three. Just a little piece in there, just a, a short verse. It says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Well, are we walking together as a community? And if we are, what agreements have we made with each other? And what are the implications of those agreements? Now again, understand, I am in no way trying to guilt anyone, for that is not a lasting motivator. It does not motivate us over time, and it involves coercion, which is a tool we must never use, even if we claim we're doing it for the sake of the kingdom of God. No coercion. Paul definitely understood this reality, even as he devoted a section of his second letter to the Corinthians to this idea of corporate commitment to giving and generosity. Here's what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where this is found, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So I want to take a little time here, kind of in the middle of this message, to walk you through some graphs that describe our current situation. And let me say as a precursor to the information, we are not currently in a crisis. We are well able to take care of all of our immediate responsibilities. Yet we do very much need to take an honest look at ourselves and at our commitments and at our expectations and ask ourselves, are we actually willing to fund all of these things that we say we want as a part of our experience. Now there's a process we go through where we determine what the nature of our experience will be and it's called the budget process. And it takes place, the finance committee gets together and works on it in the months of September and October and brings a proposal to the vision board which is normally approved in November, and then we call a church business meeting, which took place this year at Vista Ridge Academy in November, where we get together. Now, many of you were there, but also most of you weren't. So in a sense, yes, it was our decision, but many of you allowed other people to make that decision for you. And sometimes that can cause you to feel like, well, I didn't necessarily buy into that. That's why we need participation. That's why we need everyone involved so that we understand that as a community, when we set a budget, we have made a promise, not to me, but to each other. That's what a budget is. It is a promise to each other, and it's a twofold promise. It's a promise that we won't spend more than this, and it's a promise that we will give this much. That's the promise. Now, different parts of the church are responsible for different parts of the promise. The, the ministry leaders, the pastors, the staff, different folks like this are responsible for making sure the spending side works out. But it is us as a membership that together are responsible for making sure that the giving side of things work out. All right, so how's it been going? Well, we did not give what our budget said we would give either of the last two years. Even though last year we significantly cut the budget back from where it was the year before that. But the good news is this, neither did we spend what we said we would spend because the finance committee and the pastoral staff kept a close eye on how we were doing and when it looked like we likely weren't gonna hit our targets, we made sure that we slowed a lot of our spending down. In fact, this is one of the reasons that we haven't had anyone in the office for the better part of last year was because we were trying to slow our spending down. So we put the budget together at the end of last year and the 2023 budget was cut significantly from 2022. But the problem was 
we didn't actually end the year even at the number we cut the budget back to for this next year. We had a certain expectation of how the end of the year would go, and it didn't exactly go that way, but you're going to see that in a second as we look at the chart. So I have, I have a couple charts here I want to look at. So do you have the first one ready? Here we go. Okay. There are two forms in which we give offerings here, general, in, in a general sense. There's also specifics, but there is tithe and there is local offering, local budget. When you give money to tithe, these monies go directly from our church to the Rocky Mountain Conference. The Rocky Mountain Conference uses those monies then to, to uh, pay pastors. So my salary comes from money that goes to tithe as well as supplement teachers, as well as a number of other ministries within the conference. Now, the tithe number is relevant in the sense that it determines, it is one of the key indicators to determine if we have one pastor or two pastors or three pastors or ten, depending on what exactly that number is. So if you look at this chart, this is the last four years, and you can see in terms of tithe, we've actually held up quite well. Uh, we were actually higher in 2021 than any of those previous years, although this last year was a little bit lower than the year before. Now, this is in the ballpark where the conference is open to the idea of us having a couple pastors, but actually their target number is more like 600,000. So that is a point of negotiation going on right now as we're in this process after Pastor Jay has left as to exactly what will happen next when we might expect someone else to come and be a part of our staff. But let's leave that for now. Let's look at our next chart. This is our local budget. These are the monies given outside of tithe just to the local church. And you don't have to be an expert to see which direction that has gone over the last four years. All right, let's go to the next. This is a comparison, and it's kind of stark when you look at it that way. You see that our tithe giving has actually gone up, while our local budget giving has gone the other way. And now this is, this is why we've missed our budgeting process the last couple of years because we typically base the budget for the coming year on our expectation of the previous year. So for our 2022 budget, we based it on where we thought we would end based on 2021, and then when we were actually lower than that, you can see why we missed that number. All right, let's keep going. Here's just a little line graph if you wanted to see it in another way, and it, it makes the point well enough. All right, next. Now, this is actually a ratio, and this is an interesting ratio within Adventist churches, and I want to show you this because it actually suggests the ending point here suggests that in a lot of ways, compared to most Adventist churches, we're actually doing quite well in our ratio of tithe to budget, but let me explain what I mean. If you take the amount of money given to the local budget and divide it by the amount of money given to tithe, you will come up with a ratio, and I've put it in percentage here. And you can see that in the year 2019, for every dollar given in tithe, 87 cents were given in local budget. But for 2020, only 76 cents. 
and then only 57, and then this last year only 52. Now that suggests for this community some sort of a significant change in our mentality, in our thinking, and in our behavior to see that departure. Why exactly has that happened? Well, that's not a simple answer to give, but clearly it shows a shift. Now, now let me say this about it. It is rare for an Adventist church to have local giving at a rate of more than 50 cents to the dollar on tithe. So if you actually look at that, we're actually ahead of the average even at the end. Most Adventist churches range between 25 and 50 cents per dollar given locally. So in that sense, we actually are overachieving in that context as a community compared to a typical Adventist church. But as soon as I say that, you know you're not a typical Adventist church, right? So probably that's not really a very valid comparison. But nonetheless, let's go on. What else can we learn? Giving units, that's kind of a clumsy term for individual discrete gifts. Why do we use that instead of people that gave? Well, I'll tell you why. Sometimes husbands and wives give together. And so together they make up a single giving unit. So how has that gone? We've got two lines here. The blue line is tithe, the red line is budget. An interesting point, in 2019, there were more giving units for budget than there were for tithe. By 2022, it had gone the other way. More people had given to tithe than to budget. Now, a positive. You see a, a definite drop in those lines, but last year, despite the fact that our totals were lower, the number of people participating improved. That's a great sign. That's a sign of health and commitment within the community, and that's to be celebrated that more people are seeing the value of participating. Now remember, COVID's in here. There's a lot of stuff that, that is crazy in the data over the last few years that have impacted the community, that have changed who's in churches at any given time, that have changed the reality of this community. So that all happened in the middle of it, and you can see recovery starting out of that, and it's headed in the right direction, but let's look at the next one. This is the average gifts. Interestingly, of the people giving tithe, the average amount given has gone up. But of the people giving locally, the average amount has gone down. All of this makes sense when you see the whole numbers, but it is, of course, a challenge to us as we attempt as a church to determine what we are, what we can do, and uh, how we're going to set our budgets. Let's look at the next one. Okay, now this particular chart shows how much was given in each quarter of the year. And this is very significant, and, and I just want to take a second on this for you to see it. So this is giving to the local budget by quarter. That number one, that's the first quarter of the year. That's January, February, March. And that's the last four years. So the blue lines are all 2019. And of course, the numbers were higher then, so they're all bigger. The, the orange lines are 2020. Now, do you see where COVID started? Do you see that pretty high line in the first quarter? And then COVID is in the second quarter. Boom, gets knocked down for two quarters. And then the church really rallied in that last quarter of 2020 because uh, things were in a really tight spot based on the budget, and you all really responded to that. And that happened 
at the end of 2020. So then 2021, we're still kind of COVID. 20, then, then you see in the second quarter, it's up a little. The third quarter was strong, but the fourth quarter was not so strong. And then this last year, first quarter, a little better. Second quarter, a little better. Third quarter fell off. And fourth quarter was nowhere near what we have traditionally expected. So go to the next one. You can see here, this is just the, uh, just the data uh, of the fourth quarter from all four years. And if you think about the chart I showed you before about the total giving, it's all basically explained right there. What used to come in in the last quarter of the year to local budget has not been coming in. And that's what's happened, and that's what's made it hard for Tom, who's our finance chair, who tries to make a projection based on where we are, where we're gonna end up based on how the last quarter of the year usually goes, and boom, it's not going that way, and all of a sudden we look at it and we're like, wow, where did we get that number? Because we are way off. All right, now here's a comparison. Remember, this is our local giving. Show us the next slide. This is tithe by quarter. You don't see that same trend, do you? In each of these years, they're fairly comparable all the way through, and we're seeing, still seeing that major giving in the last quarter. So the last two years, local budget giving was down. Last two years, last quarter tithe is higher. So still a lot is being given, but it's the manner in which it's coming in that's different. Go to the next one. So this is a comparison. The blue is our tithe for the fourth quarter of the last four years. The red is our local giving. It kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? All right, I think I have one more. Is there one more? Yeah, there's the lines. We actually gave more to church budget in the fourth quarter of 2019 than we did tithe. And this year, it was way down below that. So interestingly, our tithe number for fourth quarter is up 20% since 2019 for tithe and down 60% for local giving in that same span. All right, so that's the charts. That's what I want you to see and that's what you need to understand in the big picture. Now, what are the implications here? All right, you understand budget in your house. You, you run your home, you know how it works. You have these things called fixed costs, right? And there's not much you can do about them. There are things like the power bill. You gotta pay that or the lights go out. Um, here at the church, we have that same kind of thing. So we've got utilities. And actually, just to share with you, we're getting hammered on utilities this year because natural gas is three times more than it was last year. So that's not fun. That's hitting the budget hard. So power bill. Cleaning bill, we gotta clean the place up. Telephone, maintenance of facilities. All of these kinds of things are fixed cost. We're gonna have to pay it to have the space. So there's no negotiating. We can't cut those numbers. We can't call up the energy company and say, yeah, our budget's tight this year, we're only gonna pay you half. And they don't go for that. So those are fixed. Then we have some other things that are, that are Fairly fixed, they can alter some year to year, but one of those is our subsidy to Vista Ridge Academy. That is a cost 
that we have every year consistently. Now, Vista Ridge Academy gets a lot of credit right now because they've done a lot of really good work and they've actually been lowering the subsidy the last few years. That's been a blessing to us. So we're very thankful for that. But we're also very invested in that and I'll talk more about that in a second. But then we come down to a different category that's called variable costs. And the category called variable costs are the kinds of things that you don't have to have, but you might really want. Let me give you an example of variable costs. And understand, sometimes cutting a variable cost can cause a loss in other areas. But an example of a variable cost, having someone in the office. Okay? That is a variable cost that we want because it helps sustain the consistent life and development of the church. Music leadership, okay? We have a high expectation for the worship service and for the quality of the music that's done here. And because of that, we make a financial investment in music leadership. Hospitality. Do you like it when you come in and we've got a wonderful spread of things out there? That's a variable cost. Not every church does that. If we ever reach the point where we're not sufficiently committed to it to fund it, we won't either. But it sure is nice. So the music reflects our values. The, the, the hospitality re reflects our values. And we've built them into the budget. The expectation that, that the office is run in an orderly manner reflects our values. But with those expectations and those values comes responsibility. We have to actually fund it or else we can't do it. And if we want the quality experience that we love so much to continue, then we have to covenant with each other to fund it. Which if you think about it, This is what it means to love one another in community. Not entirely, there's a whole other part to it, but it's part of it. When we commit to one another to make sure that we sustain the experience we love, just like you do in your home, when you create the environment of your home, you covenant with each other to do what it takes to maintain that environment. And we have to do that. And we each have to participate and make it an act of love, and, and in truth, a debt that we have to one another. That as a community, we desire this. Romans 13, verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, it's not my job to, to convince you to fund my dream of what this church can be. In fact, it's not even my job to single-handedly dream up the dream. Now, I have the privilege of participating, but it's supposed to be our dream. The experience is supposed to be our experience. And we each bring to it different gifts and different skills and abilities. And we'll talk about that more next Sabbath. But it is supposed to be ours together. Here's the problem. If we ever come to see this whole reality as my notion, 
or my dream, then, then let's say I'm a great fundraiser and I manage to fund the whole thing. What happens to the whole thing if I leave? If it's all about me, it all falls down. But if what we do is actually an honest expression of the whole, then whether I'm here or not is irrelevant. Because any one of us can come and go, but the experience of the whole remains the same. This is why we receive this, this vision, this, this dream all together. And that's why we all need to equally care about it and equally contribute to establishing it and maintaining it. Now, now, we spoke a little bit about the opportunities and the challenges that we face as a community when we had the business meeting in November. And some of you got to hear this then, but I wanna, for those of you who weren't there, I want to share with you just a couple things from what we talked about there about our unique current reality and our opportunities. So, here's something very unique about us. We are, this group gathered here, the last remnant of a proud Adventist history in this town that goes back to the year 1879. Now it's not the same as it used to be. It used to be over here, where are we, over here? Is that where it is? Anyway, there was a sanitarium. Adventists built sanitariums. That was a thing we did. And they were, they were famous places. The Battle Creek Sanitarium was kind of the, the king sanitarium of them all. And people came from all over to be there. And Battle Creek was, was ground zero of Adventism for a long time. And the Kellogg's Company has Adventists to thank for inventing cornflakes. It was all there, but slowly the pieces went away. Until now, if you go there, mostly what you'll get is a good tour of what used to be. And there's also a leftover church. It's the same kind of reality here, in a sense, because that sanitarium's not there anymore, and these houses that surround us are no longer owned by people who work there like they used to be. Sanitarium changed and then was sold and, and, and the whole energy of it became a Vista Hospital, which is now not located here. And there was Boulder Junior Academy. It was just down there. How many of you went to Boulder Junior Academy? I see your hands. There you go. Yeah, that was part of this. It was all here. It was part of a hub. But that's not here anymore, it's Vista Ridge. And Vista Ridge is doing an amazing thing and we're gonna talk about that in a second. But it's not right next door anymore. So in the days when you have a church that's surrounded by an Adventist infrastructure of a sanitarium and a school and all those things, you don't really have to be very good at very much because the community is full of Adventists anywhere and they need somewhere to go on Sabbath. So as long as you are a pretty good church, that's where they're going to be. We're not in that world anymore. And the fact is, most of you drove at least a half an hour to be here today. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great because we love this community. We love this experience. We love to be here. But we have to understand the dynamic that we find ourselves in. So we find ourselves in a unique day here in Boulder. And we have a responsibility to our proud history. And I think we're doing a decent job holding that up. But we also have a responsibility to the current generation of people that live in Boulder. And if I were to judge how we're doing on that, I'd, I'd say fair. I'll tell you one thing that Boulder loves us for. They love us for this building. The uh, Boulder Chamber Orchestra is in here multiple times a year. And they perform on our stage. And they love this building. Um, the Monkey Butler Improv Group loves our multi-purpose room. The uh, people at Porch Fest love our bathrooms. So in general, we have a good reputation, but it's really more for our building than for a whole lot else. Well, that's good. We'll start there. That's good. That's a good place to be. But what else? What else needs to be? What else needs to happen? Let me talk about something else. We are the sponsor of something very significant that's happening in Erie right now, and that's Vista Ridge Academy. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Vista Ridge Academy. The unique thing that is being achieved there right now, and uh, much appreciation to Sandy for starting down this road, and Marsha, who's leading there now, and different ones. Is Rachel here today? I don't know if Rachel's here. To, anyway, different ones who are part of that team. Roughly 50% of the families, well, the kids in the school, and therefore the families, are not Seventh-day Adventist families. Now, that's particularly unusual in North America. Typically in North America, an Adventist school is 90-plus percent Adventist families. But what is taking place right now at Vista Ridge is that Vista Ridge Academy is becoming one of the first choices for Christian education in that booming area. People are sending their kids there because it's a quality Christian education. There's 100, how many students do we have right now? 100 and what? 110, 110 students right now. Roughly 55 of those come from homes that are not a part of the Adventist Fellowship. But we don't have anything else going on there. Doesn't it seem like it would be useful, at least, for us to have a bit of a wider witness than, than just that? If we had a little community that met there, how many of those folks would like to participate in that community that would be a part of what's taking place there, that could build up a community there in this growing area of Erie that was a, a sister reality to what we're doing here, one that could be very finely tuned towards the needs of families? 
This is an opportunity that we have. The problem is we can't quite pull it off with this building because we're 30 minutes away. So how do we do both? How do we do both things? By the way, Visceridge Academy, are we on for March 4? Yes. Visceridge Academy will be here for our worship service on March 4. And you'll get to see some of the things going on that are a part of that. And that will be very fun for us to see. But there's huge opportunity. How do we do that without abandoning this? Because I'll tell you, if we leave here, I don't think we'll come back. Are Adventists done in Boulder? Or is there more? All of these things require require visionary thinking and talking and working together as a team to understand what's our heart for this? What do we believe? What can happen? But, but let me tell you this. I also believe that God has given us everything we need to do everything he's called us to do. He's not going to call us to something we can't do. And if he's showing us opportunities and if we're finding conviction in doing those things then he has given us what we need to do it. We just have to be willing in every way to give of ourselves, financial and in our time and in our energy, to make it happen. He doesn't force us, but he does enable us. All right, so, so I'm gonna invite the band to come back if you're brave enough to actually come back to the platform on a sermon like this, but... Uh, yeah, all right. Amos chapter three, verse three. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? We have the opportunity to share these years of our life. How long does this last? I don't know. We are the community that is in this room now. We're not the community that was in this room 50 years ago, but there was one. We are the community that is here now. How long does it last and what can we do during our time? I think we have the opportunity to accomplish some remarkable things, but we've got to agree on a deep level to do so and accept that agreement as a sacred trust that we make between ourselves and with Jesus and with each other. We pledge ourselves to each other. And according to Jesus, when we join together in the commitment with Jesus present and directing, we can do remarkable things. John 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And Jesus makes remarkable promises uh, to those who sacrifice for the kingdom. Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time 
houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That's what it's all about. When we invest in our community, when we invest in the places where the Spirit of the Lord is working, we are blessed with mothers and fathers and families and friends because the Lord increases and builds the community. This is what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 9. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now he hasn't given us this impossible task and then left us alone to get it done. Matthew 28, verse 20. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And he's given us each other to share in this experience, to serve together, to share our lives. And that's why he says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So let's do this. Let's determine. Let's determine to love each other in word and in deed and in our generosity. Understanding that our giving is not to me, not to some formal reality, but it's to each other and to our shared purpose. And in all these things, by being faithful, we will bring glory to Jesus, the one who never leaves us, who never forsakes us. No matter how hard the trial, no matter how hot the fire, not only is he with us, he's gone before us. So let's trust his grace, his sacrifice, and his promise. Let's be the community that he's called us to be.